Greetings program. Hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie, Tron. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and with me today is my sharp, attractive, personable guest co-host, Chris Stewart from the Interdimensional Crossrip. Welcome, Chris. Hey, I like that. Yeah? Sharp. Yeah. <laughs> now I have to live up to it, though. He's sharp. Duh, hello. He's so, uh. he's so sharp. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what you're doing and what you're up to? Uh, well, uh, I am a fellow citizen of the West Coast, as are you. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless that's been a secret and I'm giving away secrets here. You and I uh, ran across one another in the biz because we're both uh, video game guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work at my own company, Curvos Productions. We made a bunch of games like uh, Sword of the Stars and The Pit. Um and in my spare time, I do the Interdimensional Crossroad podcast, which is a Ghostbusters podcast. All things Ghostbusters, uh, not a minute by minute. And that kind of grew out of a uh, that particular love of that movie, because I think going back nearly 25 years, I started a fan site called uh, Proton Charging. That's right. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> life got busy and running websites hard, but podcasts are something that uh, I can sit down and just sort of babble away and uh and yeah that's that's i guess the short version of it right now yeah that's 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 I, good. entrepreneur dad and nerd podcaster in a nutshell did you now i i thought i remembered you saying that you guested on a movie by minute podcast of somebody doing ghostbusters Ghostbusters, yeah uh, ghostbusters minute yeah yeah uh which was really great that was a lot of fun uh <laughs> they they uh really dug into it and then they invited me on and i think we kind of exponentially uh kind of blew the nerdery through the roof because by the <laughs> end we were talking about does dana's apartment have a bathroom because we can't seem to find it anywhere sure sure things like that but uh yeah other than listening that was my one i think it was a couple episodes i sat in on so one or two times that i've actually been asked to not uh not in a hobby capacity stare at a beloved movie for one minute increments and yeah. dissect it to the nth degree i imagine with uh property prices being so expensive in manhattan that uh maybe she's just using the kitchen sink <laughs> yeah probably or a shared even though the apartment's pretty nice and the hallway's pretty nice they're still living in a shared uh, a shared bathroom for the entire floor <laughs> situation the apartment she was in actually not her apartment but the building the, the 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 one of the rooftop ones similar to hers in that building sold like a couple of years ago and it was like well i mean it does overlook central park and all that and it was in the 20 million <laughs> range or something like holy that holy moly <laughs> it was yeah so we're all laughing that uh uh a cellist for the New oh, York yeah. Philharmonic is somehow living with a Central Park view. Same with uh, <laughs> same with Friends, like all these all these New York shows mm. that are just like, oh, we're just barely getting by, getting you know, by in this loft seven thousand <laughs> foot square apartment. All right, okay, so we'll go over the minute. This is minute number four. Uh, in minute number four, Crom and Ram are talking in their little jail cell there, and uh, then we get to see and meet kevin flynn in the real world there for the first time which is pretty cool so uh yeah so crom and ram are talking and crom says oh yeah ram's like do you believe in the users and crom's like yeah well if i don't have a a user then who who wrote me it was uh, (laughs) a. I was trying to think disney doesn't does disney get kind of religiously and i'm like i don't 
I think they kind of keep that neutral. And as then here in Tron, I know. Yeah. it gets super <laughs> metaphysical. Yeah, um, like you, you half expect, you know, Crom to be saying, you know, I was created in his image, you know, yeah. or, or something like that. Like, Well, <laughs> even though nobody says it, it is outright uh, implied by the fact that Tron looks like uh, um, Alan and, uh, f- uh, well, Flynn looks like Flynn, but he made, uh, who did we see earlier? And, or we'll see soon. Where are we in the movie? I've lost track we're, already. We're just at the beginning. Um, so we've met, we've Clue. met the key players. Yeah, Clue. He makes Clue. Clue looks exactly like him. There is this uh, suggestion that if you make a program, if you touch the system, whatever you do in it. Actually, you know, I was about to say, they only imply it. I, I, we may get into it in one of the... No, we don't. Uh, but later on, I believe one of the characters mentions... Uh, they're talking about like there's the 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 corporate threats of maybe we could let you go sort of thing and he's like well we worked on this and he outright says our spirit is in the machine sort yeah of thing. yeah so so yeah this uh this is i thought this was the most overt instance of it in the movie but now that i'm thinking about it it's not it's pretty heavy it goes there, it goes all the way through it and that's one of the reasons that i find the movie so fascinating is because of its religious implications and like the implications that like in a lot of these movies in this movie there's a lot of like crossfades where you go from the grid to the city lights and the crossfade yeah. is slow and the implication to me is pretty clear that this is also a grid yes that it's it's nested and then by uh, inference, there's something above us sort of thing. By inference, yeah. yeah. So I was just Yeah, they did like, do a lot of that. Like uh, there's a shot of the helicopter that they've dangerously outlined in some sort of red lighting system to, again, kind of mimic the light cycles and things like that or the, the recognizers. And I was surprised. I, I watched it. I don't want to wander too far off our minutes, but I even remember watching. I was surprised that they drive to go visit Flynn and they deliberately set up the shot to have a semi truck in front of them drive into the shot with its red brake lights. Yeah, you know, just because of the you never notice it on the road until you're watching this movie, and then yeah, you got four stacked red brake lights and a reflector line, and then they're driving behind it, and it's red all over them, and it's yeah, yeah. It's, uh, they really went a long way to make the real world mirror the the computer world, and you don't notice it that much until you're watching it in detail. You're like. Wow, they really, they really went. They, thought it they through, really went. Yeah. They really thought it through. That's what's what's wonderful about diving into a movie like this. Is I think it either falls apart in your hands like cotton candy in a stream, <laughs> or or you you realize how much Maybe you like a like a sad like a sad, sad rac- raccoon, like a sad raccoon, <laughs> or else you really notice. Gosh, the people really went to uh, they really went to town on this, and they really put in the detail and the effort. This. Um, I'm biased, so I say things all the time. Like, this reminds me of Ghostbusters, and people roll their eyes. (laughs) Yeah. But it's just that it's an easy parallel for me to draw, because I'm as familiar with Ghostbusters as anything else. And it's the same thing here as it is with Ghostbusters, in that good script. Yeah. Really high-concept idea that they managed to sell to an 80s audience that it was kind of like, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) To this day, people posit, strange high concept movie ideas and people are just what yeah um and a you know a healthy mix like and and an indication of a lot of thought went into it like 
Um, Ghostbusters had its you know gargoyle themes running through it. Uh, yeah, things like that. You can see that the director put some time and thought into uh, visual cues and themes and threads and all that. And then a healthy dose of we didn't count on that and let's just roll with it and it makes it almost better. So For sure. Tron has the uh, the the film flashes that yeah. they hadn't expected and they just went we'll make it part of the thing. And frankly, if it hadn't been pointed out as a mistake, I spent years thinking that was a conscious decision on their part to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love I don't know. It feels like it's something we don't see as much anymore. That kind of threading and thought. Like the current master right now, honestly, I would put at Edgar Wright. Sure. Edgar Wright. When you watch an Edgar Wright movie, you know you should be paying very close attention to everything he puts in the shot and does because he is tying it into everything. The overall thing, like, uh, um, uh, I mean, even Baby Driver, the fact that he laid that whole movie out around the music that he wanted to put into the movie. Yeah, all the way back to... Uh, Shaun of the Dead, which again just has all these clever. Well, it's and, it's layered. Yeah, like I remember yeah, I watched. I like layered movies. I yeah. watched uh, Hot Fuzz recently, and I was like, "Wow, every second is accounted for." Is accounted for, and Tron, like a Disney movie, in the I think they were still smack in the middle of their World of Disney Sundays. Yeah, where they weren't doing animated as much anymore. Yeah, and so they were doing the live action stuff. They're trying, and that was all very TV esque, and Tron is right on the cusp that it feels like it could have been like a a made for Sunday evening two Sundays in a row kind of thing. That's an interesting concept. That's interesting to think about. But at the same time it's just got something that bumps it up. Yeah. A little higher. And I always wonder because we never I'm not an expert on it, but I always wonder sometimes about the stuff that they say just go make it and then if depending on where it lands, they're like, oh we'll just throw it on TV sort of thing. Yeah. And I think um Tron, uh, I don't know. There's, it just, I mean, I know it started as a movie. It might have been the price tag that made sure it went into theaters, actually, now that I think about it. Like, all this experimental computer stuff and all that. It's not a huge budget, but at the time, I'm pretty sure it was probably on the higher yeah, end. Yeah, it was on the higher end, and they needed they needed the money to do it. Like, this is a, a story I've told before, but it was going to be done by Steven Lisberger's production company. Right. Because they just finished an animated film called Animalympics. Oh yeah, and uh, and then they were going to use. Then they got a sweet, sweet deal with NBC or ABC to intersperse the shorts because right. you could cut it up into shorts or watch it as a movie. And they were going to do that during the Olympics. Oh yeah, but then that year, for the first time ever, the Americans boycotted the Olympics because <laughs> it was being held in Moscow. Right, and so their deal evaporated, uh, and so they're like, oh what do we do now we have no money and so they had to shop this idea around that they had of tron to different studios and, right and disney said yes so they ended up going that way so I, i'm always amazed by doing research on any sort of film about how so many different things went wrong and forced people to make choices that ended up in a great movie yes and that goes to i think <clears throat> probably almost any movie right even the ones that and it can go either way. Mm. You have a great movie that through no choice of their own, the cast and crew end up making some hot garbage. And it's like, what a what a shame. You Which know? is a perspective that I think is kind of lost these days. Um, we consume movies yeah, way more than we ever have. It's so easy to like access a movie and watch it. 
and more and more people have just decided it means they know movies inside and out and that perspective yeah. is it was hard it was hard to come by in the first place and i think more and more people just assume that because it's easier to get at it it's easier to make and it's never it's not easy at all. no if you are a fan of movies it does not mean that you are great at making movies great at making movies or understanding how it gets made which is why you hear people online yeah. screaming why didn't you do this and it's like we don't know there's a million reasons why they made that decision that we're not privy to the decision making process there's a really short uh youtube clip of the guy that made shazam talking about the decisions that he made while making shazam yeah and this sort of watching somebody tear apart your movie or even not tear but examine your movie yeah in great depth and talk about all the connections that you made as a director in these shots and how there's this through line in the movie of this character and that that's why this happened and you're watching it as a director going well that's news to me <laughs> i mean that makes sense i guess <laughs> it reminds me of uh, jordan peele doing uh, responding to fan theories about uh, us uh no um his first one get out get out thank you yeah um uh, it was <laughs> Because he's people's theory is so and so and so and so and so, and he's like, no, that had <laughs> nothing to do with that at all. The other thing that this shot sets up that I love is honestly, in a time I want to say pre computer graphics, and I'm, I can't because, of course, it's filled with computer graphics, but yeah. rather than commonplace computer graphics, because I think um, it's Lucas and Radioland Murders, I think. Well, the oh, first big wow, movie yeah. where they shot just what was kind of around them, props and all that, and then they filled in everything else with computers. You know, stuff he went on to use with the prequels. Yeah. Like running around. A, and now it's commonplace, right? We're watching the Avengers run around on empty green areas, <laughs> sort of thing. This movie did all that, but done practical. Yeah. Because the computer shots were too expensive for general shots plus they didn't really have a good mechanism for taking live action shots and putting computer shots together but it is by and large done exactly like those later ones because in this shot you watch it he's leaning on we don't see the force field because they're not animating it in until somebody runs into it but he's yeah at that force field window and really they've built the single wood shape and then gone in and either matted or hand-drawn the glow stuff and all that and in bigger shots they were in their one little you know wooden the ones where the guards are like up above and hammering at them and they're just in amongst these simple wooden block things and then everything else around them would just will mat on top sort of thing like i just love they created this fantasy environment completely what's the term impractically practically impractically but not computers right like this weird practically impractical way of creating a computer world that's not computer at all yeah no i love that it's this yeah it's using using film techniques from like 70 years prior yeah to make this super futuristic film while also using super cutting edge technology that or bleeding edge technology even like these were like each of the computer companies that were used to make the separate sequences Mm -hmm. uh there was what magi triple i robert abel and associates Mm, and a fourth one but like one of them did the. T- I, I love that you know three 
I love that you know there's four and are mad at yourself that you can only remember three because I didn't know any of them. Magi did like the the tanks and the light cycles and the recognizers. And uh, I think Triple I did the solar sailor. Right and uh, and Clues cruiser uh, Sark's cruiser and then um, like Robert Abel did the uh, the intro sequence and the the whole going into the computer sequence and so they each had to do a separate thing and not only did they have to be married together by good art direction but they also had to work together with the animators that knew nothing about computers mm-hmm. and the computers that the computer technicians that knew nothing about animation yeah um, but each company had their own unique in-house computer right it wasn't like they all had the same computer that they that they'd souped up they all had a like a built from scratch this is our hot rod and this is what it does yeah that's unique and you know we use punch cards and we don't and i mean like well probably nobody used punch (laughs) cards but but like each one had its own foibles and each one was not that stable right so there was there was like all this like okay yeah like nobody walk on the carpet too long and then touch the computer otherwise we could lose half the movie you know because uh and it takes weeks at a time to yeah to render out the simplest thing 10 minutes of frame and I mean, I remember that complaint uh, reading interviews with the people that worked on The Last Starfighter. And that was like a quantum leap jump forward because that was starting to get into the, you're not building your own machines. We can go to, who was it? Sun? Sun? Sun computers? Sun systems. Sun systems. And they were they would ultimately be the ones that, you know, a handful of years later, Pixar would buy the first of their machines of. And now we live in an era where technically people are working on machines that you could walk down to the computer store yourself and get built for you like it's just yeah that's like the behind the scenes on sin city robert rodriguez is talking like i made this movie using software that you could buy off the rack cheaper versions of the software that i used to make this movie you could buy for a thousand bucks at your local store so if you've got some green sheets and some bright lights and some enthusiastic friends and a thousand dollars for some software get in there you could do it like it's really inspirational and that's the guy that like sold his body for medical experiments for the first for the first film he did isn't that how what was it sky captain yeah and the world tomorrow it was a guy did like 40 minutes yeah in by himself in his house and then shopped it around and ended up with stars and yeah (laughs) shot more and away we go right very ambitious or um i mean frankly now it's gotten to the ridiculous point where ryan reynolds can pay a guy to do that <laughs> that deadpool demo demo and then leak it to the internet and get a movie made right like it's just i'm into it it's kind of like backdooring the studio system yeah. you know and i'm like yeah if it if it results in something that's good fantastic you know the bit that always drives me nuts is i cannot i can oh I they, can, well they did that with uh, tron legacy did they do that yeah they made that short Oh, to yeah. show at uh, Comic Con or whatever, yeah, when yeah, they yeah. actually got Jeb Bridges to show up, and I everybody forgot. everybody lost their minds because for the longest time Disney was like, eh, and then is... but then once the interest was proved, it was like, oh, oh okay, well we'll yeah. give you we'll give you some money. We're flush right now. You can do it. I think they're still that way. I think when Tron Legacy came out, you could go to Disneyland Disney World and run into Tron characters. Oh, cool. But they fall into the same category, it feels like, as, like, you know, Song of the South characters. Like, they come out for two hours once a month, and if you're lucky, you'll get to see them sort of thing. Yeah. The bit that I find uh, always find impressive is um, 
the transferring it out of the computer into a format that they could edit and cut with like oh yeah whatever i guess four inch tape tv four inch tape probably well they would blow up the negatives to be like really huge and then cut out parts of them yeah well no just the 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 computer like the rendering the computer shots in the computer getting it out into the world where the editors could into an analog state yeah, exactly, right? Some, some sort of physical version that you can I, work with. I, I, from what I've read, there's stuff that happened on Tron that has never happened again and had not happened before. Really? Yeah. Like a bunch of the practices that they used eventually ended up getting used in projects later on down the line by a bunch of films that were doing something similar. But also a lot of them were invented for the movie yeah. and then they found better ways to do it after the movie was over. So there's this proprietary one-shot stuff that was going on throughout throughout the film too because they were just breaking new ground every time you know every week there was like well how do we how do we solve this problem how do we surmount this challenge and then like oh okay well this way i guess that's something they should start slapping on movies to attract those of us that are interested in filmmaking i would watch 10 so-so or even bad movies that had a sticker that said had to invent this process to solve this problem just so I could go see what they did. Yeah. Then 10 great ones, but they didn't invent it. They just shot it, edited it and put it out. Like there was no real hurdles to jump over. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think an imperfect movie where they had to solve it. I told you people would roll your eye. Ghostbusters is a perfect example. Like they built their own 70 millimeter camera to do the effects in. Right. No, 60 millimeter. Yeah, they did. The, they did this large format for doing the, the 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 effects. Again, that's a minor thing, and most people don't really care or see it in the end product. But they wanted. If you watch Ghostbusters and you watch like their their proton pack effects and stuff like that, there's a quality, like a yeah. resolution quality to them that is amazing compared yeah. to other energy hand hand animated energy effects in other movies, and that's yeah. because they shot it at nearly double what they were then going to compress it down to and put up on a on a video screen. All the effects were done in this larger size. And you're a digital artist, animator, and all that. So yeah. you know, if you work big and then make small, it just looks the quality's so there. Amazing. The quality's there. So all right. anyway, so <laughs> all right, back to the back to the minute of hand here. Okay, so so Master Control's been absorbing and repurposing all the programs it can find. And if he can't use you, he puts you in the games and destroys you. And I imagine you compete and you compete and you compete until you fail, like the gladiators in ancient Rome. And the the, yeah. the costumes kind of have a gladiator yes. gladiator feel to them. And I did a little research on gladiators. Uh, they were often conscripted from slaves, prisoners of war, and criminals. Mm-hmm. Most of them ended up being fodder. But if one really proved themselves, I don't know if they could win their freedom. I think usually they ended up just being trainers or sort of elder gladiators, but they were always within that sort of... I always thought they could, but to be honest, that ancient Roman history is not my area of expertise. No, for sure. And uh, and I say that as somebody who actually studied history, meaning I, I paid a lot more attention to the 20th century history than doing all the old stuff. It may just be a Hollywood fantasy that you could... Uh, yeah, I don't think freedom. Yeah, I don't Although think Rome was very big on meritocracy. Like if you could prove your worth, they'd hand it. If you went and marched for them and fought in wars, you'd ultimately end up as a citizen sort of thing. So it is sure. possible. I imagine like 
they'd be given facial facial hand or leg tattoos to make it hard for them to blend in if they escaped. Yeah, if you if you made it through, you could you could train train new gladiators because at first they just get you fit. Yeah, and figure out if you were like a, a tank or a sprinter or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then um, if you miraculously survived to an old age and had proved loyalty to the empire, yes. then you'd probably be put to work training new gladiators. I think it was just a thousand-year project to see if there was a tiger-proof man out there. That's <laughs> what I think it was. Tiger-proof man. <laughs> What's your superpower? Well, I'm tiger-proof. Ah, that's oddly specific. What about bear-proof? I don't know. You didn't hear me very much. I'm tiger-proof. Rome really wanted to make headway into Asia and wasn't having much luck, so we need a tiger-proof guy. Um, I mean, you could say that gladiators had a good life. They had like hot and cold baths and payment for each fight they survived. Pop idol status if they became popular. Yeah. Uh, Massages. They would uh, have women delivered to the barracks every now and again. And it doesn't seem to be like that here in Tron's world. But I still imagine that working for the bad guys has its perks if you're you're in Tron's world working for the MCP. They don't find you useful. You go to the games. They do find you useful. Right. Um, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's an important point. And not to to start digging into the canon too much there, but uh, later on, it's proven that Tron is useful, and Tron is repurposed to hunt down errant programs. Sure. As opposed to fighting for the user, this one here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, they do actually. If you look at the credits, everybody who isn't like a named program is listed as conscript. Right. I don't. He's not in any of our shots, but uh, I wrote it down. Michael Dudikoff, yeah, from American Ninja. He's a conscript in there somewhere. Oh, from American Ninja. From American Ninja. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. I saw the name Michael Dudikoff, but I didn't realize he was from anything else. Yeah. He's, he's from American Ninja. American Ninja. Oh, so the Michael Dudikoff. The Michael. Dudikoff. Oh, okay, cool. Right on. <laughs> There's a few of that actually. Like, uh, it's hard to tell because we don't see their faces. Yeah. Except in that one tantalizing shot where a guard walks in, and you can kind of see that they've painted their faces entirely black and you can kind of see some light bounce to give like a nose and a mouth a definition you yeah but the head guard whoever that is is um jackson bostwick yeah uh from the live action shazam back in the day no kidding yeah he's the head this this thing if you read through it is filled with stuntmen and like 80s uh old school television and film like low yeah, level. I saw the like I saw the, the names and I looked them up, but yeah. I don't remember seeing the old Shazam in there anywhere. That's wild. Yeah. The who else was the Oh, Ted White. Yeah. Ted White is another guard. This is why it's confusing because they all look the same. It's like head guard. Which one's the head guard? Yeah. The one who talks more? There's I guess? a there's a there's a uh a credit in there for video game cowboy. Yeah. I'm well, like, well what does that mean? Who the heck was that? But Ted White is uh uh this probably means something a lot more to horror fans than it does to you or I, although I kind of think it's funny. He's uh, in the pantheon of uh, Jason Voorhees. He played Jason in the final chapter. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Again, it's just one of these things where these, these work-a-day Hollywood guys, and we like to think of people having like a brand or an area, but some people just work to work sort of things. So, yeah, they just you know, show up. They do it. He did In the 70s, uh, Boswick. Put on the the red leotards and Billy Batston his way around Saturday morning television for a couple of years. Decade later or less, actually, because this came out in eighty two, so say shot eighty eighty one. Yeah, yeah, he's maybe five or six years shy of being a face on TV, and now he's 
hidden in a computer world working for Disney. And Wow. Yeah. A little trivia like that always makes things fun. I love it. Uh, Ram mentions that Krom will be trained for the games, but doesn't seem to insinuate that the training is going to be all that uh, quality. It'll be lacking. Or he it'll hasn't be asked him about believing in the user yet, has he? Did this come before or after? Yeah, it comes. No, he that's he comes before. He says in the in the last minute, at the last line, at the last yeah. line of the previous minute, he's like, "So you believe in the users?" Oh, and okay. they talk about like uh, like when when Crom's uh, getting put into the cell, he's like, "My users, a full branch manager, he's going to be very angry." Very angry. And one yeah, of the okay. guard the guards is like, "Oh, great, another religious nut." So it puts it puts a, it puts a spin on his whole droopy dog bit about the training that Crom would get. Yeah, because it is spelled out uh, later on when they're being addressed, that yeah. if you persist in these wackadoo ideas of users, your yeah. training will be suboptimal until you're just killed out of the games. I love the sort of like, well, I mean, that's that minute. That's not this minute. No. But I love that Sark's hypocrisy is in full display. Like he comes from a conversation yes. with the MCP with the, about, about users, users. Yes. to go brief the troops on their ridiculous belief in the users. Yes. Knowing that he's been ordered to run a user into the ground, <laughs> right? Sort of thing. Well, it's nice though because what it sets up as well though is just how awesome Tron is. Yeah. Because Tron has shown up and said, no, I've got a user. It's like, well, we're going to, we're going to, you're going to suck until you die. And he's like, that's if I don't, if I'm not already awesome. Like, yeah. Like, there's some suggestion that by this, like, they have him in there squaring off against four guys. (laughs) And it's kind of like, you can't keep me down. Like, this whole threat of, we're not going to train you to be good. You can't keep me down if I'm already kind of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And he does that every, because remember, this is, uh, again, it's tough to it's tough. It's to tough stick to, stay, to the minutes, to stick to he, the minute. He does that wonderful thing where he fights off the four guys, which is in the middle, which is you know classic Hollywood being surrounded by guys but outnumbered and still winning. That's obviously you're super awesome. Yeah, it's easier to be outside of a ring of guys and try to do them one at a time, sort of thing. But if you're surrounded, that's harder. And he takes them out. And the the move he has when he holds the disc up, it's funny. It's it's almost like if it was a Christian thrown to the lions, slaughters all the lions, and then like if he was wearing like a cross around his neck, holds up the cross. Like holding up your disc is how you interface with the input output. Like he goes into sure. the thing and he holds his disc. Here's my ID disc. Let's talk. Yeah. So he fights off all the guys, and then looks up at Sark and them and just holds his disc up, meaning. I won, and I still believe in users. Screw oh, you. that's cool. I didn't. I I took it more like he was raising his sword. Like uh, it's the same thing. Like, like it's I, more than one thing, but it also know. means I, I'm doing the thing that I do. And it's also like that's your identity disc. Yeah. So he's holding it up, and he's like, "The name is Tron." Like yeah. he's like, "See this? This is me." He's holding up, the, you know, his holy book, or yeah, like, or yeah. his sword. Like yeah, gladiator the winds hold up a sword. It's like yeah, I just want it's 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 a nice subtle thing. To, it's a great nonverbal physical action that uh, really really again. This is a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah from 1982 that has a lot of really great subtle things going on in it that you know what i didn't see a lot of in the return to witch mountain or anything like that so. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah <coughs> pete's pete's dragon was lacking in the uh in the uh, <laughs> universal subtext well there was a lot of subtle uh xenophobic uh uh commentary uh, about xenophobia in the cat from outer space but i think that's yes, about it that's about it uh, so, okay. Uh, Ram wants to know what's going on in the other sectors. Uh-huh. 
meaning that he's uh, mentioning that he's been stuck in there for 200 microcycles. Yes. Now, how long do you think a microcycle is? <laughs> is a microcycle a million cycles then compared to a millis? I, w- I would say it's probably like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, micro Did he say microcycles mi- he says or micro- microseconds? Microcycles. Okay, wow. It almost feels sort of like uh, making the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs. Yeah. Like it's kind of, we've made a thing up. I wonder if you could like overclock a prisoner when he's in prison so he experiences <laughs> way more time in prison than he does outside. I don't know. The sectors bit I bought into because I assumed that meant like a, a sector on a, a disk drive, right? Like, yeah. And, I, and And honestly, this is just... It's like in an alien world in any sci-fi show. It's like, well, I've been waiting for 12 Narn Snickers. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. you know, they can't say hours and they can't say days. But Well, this is the trouble I had with parsing any of the minutes of this is how much of the script was computer aware, computer savvy. Yeah. And how much was they knew it was going to be for, you know, a general audience that at this point, nobody has a home computer. Yeah. Etc. So they're talking about sectors, uh, loading things like hiding things in memory. Like yeah. um, MCP is hiding stuff in his uh, memory. They talk about sectors, drive sectors, yeah, all that sort of thing. And I'm let's put it this way: uh, we'll get to it at some point. He even mentions SCSI data. Yeah, and I even yeah. had to dive down a hole to figure out if he was saying as in dirty or as in SCSI, as the simple computer right? yeah. interface. Yeah, it was like. <laughs> So this is one of those things, like it's a mix of, you know, I've been in this sector. Yep, got it for a micro, uh, 200 microcycles. I don't know what a microcycle is. Yeah, we'll do that later. The SCSI? I think yeah. it is one of our men. Uh, the, there it is. Yeah, I've got it. In, in minute six, he says SCSI. Yeah, they, got, they got stuff to talk about in there. We'll, uh, so we'll get back to that. Come back. But there's a, there is a lot of that. Like I tried to figure, like, and some of them are just general, like the recognizers. Yeah. It's very generic. Like, there's no they're, real computer term other it's than... It's their function. They recognize. They recognize, yeah. Uh, but better, then also... You better recognize. Uh, um, you know, bit is in there. But again, it's like, a bit isn't a yes and a no. You know, like, it's not a positive and negative. It's a it's a one state and the other. It's it's kind of it's kind of like, yeah, that's... That's close. It's a, it's a. I think that's a good 1982 way to introduce people to a, fanta- a computer, yeah, a Real, computer it, concept. It gets the point across for sure. Uh, but yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> but it is that old Hollywood classic of yeah, uh, you know, or um, it's a real war movie thing. Where somebody ends up in the prisoner war camp, and one of the other prisoners is like, "Yeah, tell us how the war is going. Tell We're us, not yeah. getting any news. What's happening on the outside? Yeah, <laughs> I guess yeah. maybe old noir movies. Anybody's in jail, probably a lot more of that. Hey, yeah, I what's guess. the rumpus? What's the rumpus? <laughs> uh, so it looks like the real world seems to keep pace with the world inside the computer, time wise. Maybe a little faster. Like it's hard to tell because there's no day and night in the computer world, but it looks like they go in at night. Yeah. And they come out in the morning. And so the whole thing takes place over the course of a night in the real world. And I think it might take a little... There's there's a couple of uh, fade to blacks uh, yeah. during the film when they're inside. So it might be a little longer than... It might be like a day and a night kind of thing. Yeah. it's It doesn't quite line up because everything that happens in the Tron world could theoretically take place in... Even in 1982, slow computing terms. 
yeah. maybe a half an hour's worth of computer work at yeah. worst. I don't yeah. know. But at the same time, I just gave them the wiggle room that, you know, computers stop and start. So there's, I always, sometimes when they move away to the real world, maybe, you know, Master Control Program's just not running the games at that point. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's kind of just frozen. <laughs> And we'll start back up again. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, I don't know. I like I like that this movie kind of leaves you with more questions and answers in a really, really good way. Like, I want more information about this world, and I hope that in further movies and properties that they explore it a bit more because there's so much room for interpreting what we know of computers in a new way in this in this yeah. world. Like somebody freezing or crashing or or uh, or all the things that you could do to uh to a program you know and i like de-resing is is pretty cool but there's other things you could do to uh to alter it and i wonder what like a four line program in basic right would basically have a version of you running around but what would their capabilities be for conversation you know like yeah um or what like what are what is like the people that believe in the users know that they're creations of the users so do they know that they're not living beings or do they make that distinction? You know, like, or is it kind of, I mean, that's the one thing that I really like about it too, because it's kind of like us. Yeah. We, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm alive. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I exist. Yeah. The only thing that, and the only thing that frames their existence is if somebody erases them. Which yeah, is what the sure. Does, so right? death so, is permanent and death exists. Death so exists, that so, is yeah. that goes a long way to proving that you're alive. <laughs> yeah. Although again, it's weird because you know we're all so familiar with computers now that we're again actually this is the funny part is is we forget sometimes that in '82 everything was at a premium when it came to computing. So storage and all that oh, was yeah. at a premium. So we're just used to oh man, I got like like I live in a world where my number one problem is is. I've got thousands of photos of, you know, my family and my son and all that. Yeah. Uh, one third of them are probably doubles because I keep copying yeah. around everywhere. Yeah. And I got to. So in our world, it's just, oh, you know, whatever. You're never gone. There's a copy somewhere. Right. Whereas then, yeah, he took over the one copy that ran. Yeah. And then if he didn't like you, he deleted you sort of thing. That always led me to wonder about that one banking guy, though. Like, is MCP stepping in and emulating Crom? Like, while Crom's in the prison kind of thing? Is yeah, like, because yeah. it's supposed to be takes over your function. So, as it, the suggestion is, is he grabs you. Yeah. Figures out what you he knows what you're doing, incorporates it into himself, and then just handles it. Yeah. And the original copy, then, is no longer needed. Sort of oh, thing. that's what you thought. Okay. I thought he was like, work for me. Oh, that's a good. That's a whole. That's See, a whole. Because the thing is, is yes, that would make sense. Like in the mob thing, is you work for me now? Yeah, okay, great. Except if you're a computer girl, you work for me, but you disappointed me, so I'm yeah, going to yeah. erase you. And somewhere's in like the San Fernando Valley is a bank manager going, "Why won't this work?" The MCPs <laughs> just walking around selling selling protection, basically, right? <laughs> it's like the bank program. The manager's like, it's not. Sorry, no money today, people. The, the <laughs> machine's not working. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, this whole thing is built around the concept of terminal computing. Yeah, yeah. That nothing ran uh, really runs at your end. If you're going to get a program, you got to call out, get it, 
load it onto your machine and then run it. So yeah. there's a suggestion that the banks, he does talk about going out of the system. So the banks probably same as everybody else. Yeah. Like Allen's has a terminal station and yeah. he's locked out, meaning he can't just run his, again, this is the other thing. They made a movie in 1982 to people who were not computer savvy. Yeah. And we keep rewatching it as people start to lose track of what was happening computer wise. Yeah. Like now computing is so ubiquitous that it doesn't like, it's just everywhere. And if we want it, we can get at it. Like I've had times where it's like, Oh, I'm not at my desk computer. Like somebody's like, oh, here's an FTP file. It's like, oh, I'm not like, oh, right. And a program on my phone will crack this open and I'll have a look at those photos. Easy. Like, yeah. Easy. Whereas back then, if you wanted to work and you wanted higher end computing uh, power, or if you wanted to access like, because you weren't storing manually or all the time on your machine, you had to log into the, you were the tied, system. You tied, were tied to, to this tied larger to system. And then, yeah. Not even tied to the location, just your that that those hunks, those yeah. terminal hunks they had on their desk, yeah. only did what was loaded into them. And if you wanted to change that function, you had to go out to the master control program, download the new program, or upload your data for heavy churning or whatever, and get it back. And yeah, somebody could just cut you off, sort of thing. And yeah, I think as the years go on, people kind of lose lose track of that like they lose track of that it's the, it's the accessibility we're living in a golden age of accessibility yeah. right now or well maybe just past the golden age of accessibility we'll see how <laughs> things how things go uh so okay then crom says yeah crom mentions that the mcp is saying that you need permission from the mcp mm -hmm. to travel around your own micro circuit circuits <laughs> and indignantly he says i mean sending me down here to play games and then he says the hilarious line who does he calculate he is? <laughs> I just that that line always cracks me up because I was like, you're trying to make it lingoy, lingoy, but you're like, you know, of course they're not gonna. Nobody thinks they calculate. Calm. Stop trying to say calculate. It's not gonna happen. Cal you're not Stop gonna make it. Happen. You're not gonna make calculate happen, Crom. <laughs> He's the only one. Everybody else sucks. Normal. Crom's always like, I was like, hey, I calculate. I'm looking pretty good today. It's like, stop it. Stop it, Crom. <laughs> it's not going to catch on oh you just wait you just wait um yeah this scene actually i really love because it's uh uh peter jurassic yep from babylon 5 that's right who i love the death from babylon 5 and then it was great every every i love meeting actors in a, a role later on and then going back and watching old stuff and then you see them as baby actors yeah <laughs> so him and um ram is What's his name? Shore? Dan Shore, yeah. Dan Shore. Who again, I just recently uh it was it was inexpensive, so I picked it up, but was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure on yeah, Blu-ray. Yeah. And he's Billy the Kid. He's Billy the Kid. There Which is, is funny because he's I'm I haven't seen any pictures, but I, I can't tell if it's a contrast process effect or if they're made up. Like if there's a lot of hike it's a contrast process. It's a contrast There's process. There's some makeup, but I mean, it was all shot in black and white and heavily, heavily. processed. Right, because so. when you do that, he his face, both their faces, like take on a different character compared to. There was a funny story that Dan Shore tells in the behind the scenes of uh, some guy coming up to him on the street and just saying, "You, it's you," and he's like, "Hello," and he says. <laughs> The stranger says, I hate your nose. And Dan Shore is like, dude, what is going on right now? 
and it turned out that this was one of the um like compositors right and so he like for a year he'd been looking at dan shore's nose nose because he was assigned to like dan shore so he'd been like rotoscoping out the backgrounds right. on all the shots that he's in around around his nose and i guess he'd he'd developed a, a sort of a hatred uh. for this this little part of his nose that always required a little bit of a special touch and <laughs> he had to do it frame by frame or or whatever he was but i was like i've you know i've been down that doing a lot of facial animation you're staring at one actor's face for six months yeah. And then you see them in real life and you feel like they're your best friend, but you've never met them before. Right. You know, so there's a strange disconnect that happens there. Or it goes the other way and it just drives you mad. So shout out to Grant Corliss, who spent a year working on snow covered rocks on a, a game I worked on way back when. Oh my By gosh. the end, he was like, I want to work on anything other than this, please. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I, I, I still have it. It's somewhere. And I, I could not find it. I think it's unfortunately still when I moved, it's in a box in the garage, but the Rolling Stone magazine cover with Jeff Bridges uh, oh. in his Tron outfit. Like when the movie came out? Around the time the movie came out. Oh my gosh, I got to get a hold of that. There's a shot of him, helmet off. Like he's he's doing some sort of, uh, you know, candid moment. You know, he's got a boyish grin. Yeah. You know, scratching, ruffling the back of his hair, scratching his head sort of thing. And he's got his helmet under one arm and he's in full costume. Yeah. But of course it's not, they didn't touch it up at all. It's no. literally white with the gray reflective yeah. uh, details. And, um, or the straight up Sharpie. I'm going to, I keep mentioning that and I'm going to keep on mentioning it. That, Sharpie. They, they, so that's how they put the detail bits in there. White leotard. And then yeah. a, a guy was in there, a PA or maybe Mobius himself, just straight up drawing on the <laughs> leotard with Sharpie. Um, I don't know. If you know it. We're recording in the Halloween season. Uh, not to put a timer stamp on this thing <laughs> at all, but uh, for perspective, <clears throat> it is that time of year where my son insists on watching Hocus Pocus. And in Hocus Pocus, the adults have run off to City Hall for uh, a dance party because, of course, it's the 90s. And that makes sense that the kids are all home alone on Halloween and the yeah. parents are out. But um, They're 10. They'll be fine. It's a Disney movie. And as the, the camera pans through the crowd, there's a guy wearing one of the tron as in movie not specifically trons but one of the gladiator programmer outstanding and no effects again it is white yeah with the sharpie and the helmet and it's like ah so literally that's the best part because it demonstrates that disney held on to those costumes they're still in a disney vault somewhere yeah because they i guess they wouldn't deteriorate like latex or something like that they're just like especially those bauer helmets that'll probably yeah yeah everybody else so all right so yeah we're just getting to the point right now. We've been talking for a while. We're just getting to the point right now where Jeff Bridges, and we get the same, we get my, one of my favorite title cards in this film and maybe my favorite title cards of all, all time. time. Meanwhile, in the real world. <laughs> meanwhile, in the real world, it fades up on uh, on Jeff Bridges as he's programming in his uh in his in his bachelor pad now if I we want to i think you should do some chronologically speaking t-shirts and that's what it reads on the front meanwhile in the real world, in the real world. uh so i'm going to talk a little bit about jeff bridges mm-hmm. uh let's see what we got here you know and it's too bad i wished he would have done more i mean he just did this one movie and then he disappeared and that's uh it's yeah. a real shame it's a real shame <laughs> no jeff bridges so jeffrey leon bridges was born on december 4th 1949 in los angeles uh he grew up amid the 
Hollywood scene. His father was the famous actor Lloyd Bridges from the uh, airplane fame of looks like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking or quit sniffing glue or whatever. His uh, mother was the actor Dorothy Bridges. And if you look at the pictures, you can see that Jeff gets a lot of his looks from his mom. Because hmm. I've always thought Lloyd Bridges was Jeff Bridges' dad. Huh. We can sort of see it. So, same hair. Same hair, but then you see his mom, and you're like, "Oh, there it, there is. it is. There it is. That's the that's the missing piece there." I think his brother got a bit more of his dad. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 there. He well, yeah, Lloyd's got uh, Lloyd Bridges has like 217 acting credits. So it's insane, right? Yeah, he really like like uh, Jeff and Bo really really grew up in the Hollywood machine. They oh, really yeah. they really grew up there. And Lloyd, yeah, Lloyd, like Leslie Nielsen and Robert Stack, had their career sort of reinvigorated by uh, by Airplane in 1980 because they'd been known as, I think, fairly serious actors up till that point. And then, yeah. oh my gosh, they've got a talent for comedy. Nobody, nobody knew. But yeah, Jeff hung around Hollywood as a child, performing as a child actor on Sea Hunt with his big brother, Bo Bridges. Um, oh, and apparently he had a little trouble with uh, drugs and marijuana and drinking as a teen, but got back on track with the help of his parents. I wonder what that was, what that was like. But it was the last picture show in 1971 that really propelled him to the uh, to the big leagues. He got his first Oscar nomination for that film for the character of Dwayne Jackson opposite Sybil Shepherd, um, who went on to do Moonlighting. Mm-hmm. He's got uh, like a lot of people when they talk about him, they refer to his his good looks, but they call it like casual carefree handsomeness, you know, or like a, like a perpetual grin and a sly charm. Like he's got this real authenticity to him in his performances. Um, One of my favorite lines in Tron is when they're, when Alan's like, why, like, I don't get it. Why do you want to go? Why do you want to go back in there? And, and, you know, and, and Jeff Bridges is like, because man, (laughs) Like it's yeah, my program's in there. Like he does this whole like he's um he's so you really feel it. He's not you know he's, he feels frustrated. He's not just he was the seventies and eighties Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt kind of feel he I could fills I could the see same that. role right. Uh, the kind of guys that well that's not true. Brad Pitt kind of stretched himself a bit. Yeah, but, but there's a lot of that. They go in and if they don't have to go into a role different from it like if it's just left open they just kind of go with their own casual charm and they yeah. have their quirks and you just describe one of his brad pitt has you know, they, they all have these yeah <laughs> these in, inflections and deliveries that they you see them all over the place these isms and then his uh second oscar nomination came for thunderbolt and lightfoot opposite uh clint eastwood, clint eastwood. In that one's a great one what a great movie and yeah. the ending the end, i remember i saw that when i was a kid and the ending just like it wounded me, and it still yeah. it still does to this day. Like what a oh, it's it's a great that's a great film. And as as it's, <laughs> I've watched a lot of heist movies in my day. Yeah, the concept of instead of putting the, you know, a partnership together or a team together, and we're gonna cut our way into it, or we're gonna tunnel into the vault or anything like that. It's like no, we're gonna shoot the lock with a giant gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm in. I've never seen that before. Uh, let's see. He chose a lot of strange and offbeat roles. Uh, before Tron, he just starred in the somewhat schlocky big budget King Kong remake uh-huh. with uh, Jessica Lange in her first her first role, and the disastrous flop Heaven's Gate. Which uh, was he in that? Yeah, because that was a um, boy. I haven't seen that in like forever. But that was uh, what's his name? Um, 
in the lead. Oh gosh, what's his name? Dick Tracy. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Dick Tracy. Um Holy Moses. We're having one of those moments where they've locked us out. <laughs> MCP's locked us they've out. Lo- MCP's locked us <laughs> um, out. Uh, this is one of those things where everybody's Bugsy listening Malone. screaming. Yeah. <laughs> screaming at us. Madonna. Uh, 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 Mary, Mary to Annette Benning. Uh, like, uh, we'll know every fact about him except his, his name. <laughs> Boy, that's a tough one. It's going to come to me It'll in a second. In I love uh I love that feeling though of not of not. Um, okay. But um, yeah. So he needed something. So his his career wasn't like dying, but there was like a, a dip. Mm. And so he needed something. And uh they figured he'd be great as a sort of arrested development grown-up adolescent video game programmer, like aloof and interesting but playful and young. They figure he'd be a, a good match with like kids and adults alike. Like people want to be him. Uh, uh, people that are into him want to be with him. You know, like he's sort of like attractive, but you also want to hang around with him. Yeah. And you know, like so. And after Tron, you know, you know, fabulous Baker Boys, Big Lebowski, Fearless, The Contender, Iron Man, The Fishing King, The Fisher King, Crazy Heart, he Starman, Starman. <laughs> he was nominated for six Academy Awards. Wow. And that was uh, Starman, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, The Last Picture Show, True Grit, The Contender, and Hell or High Water, which I'd uh, kind of forgotten about, but was awesome. awesome. What a great movie. Uh, and then he won the Best Actor for Crazy Heart. He keeps plugging away at it. He seems he's kind of moving into, speaking as somebody who uh, acts pretty well, but is got a lot of his, um, done a lot that's just him in the movie. You know, he's movie star acting does that make any sense yeah he kind of comes in and he he he'll 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 take on aspects of the character but there's a lot of him and his charm sort of thing he's really kind of what kind of cowboy lebowski is what he seemed to have settled into lately yeah 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 what was the last one um the true grit and r.i.p.d or whatever kingsman he's uh oh yeah the kingsman uh, champagne the the golden circle or the golden circle um it was nice to see him. I, I, yeah, the movie I thought was so so, but he's he he fills that same space as like Gene Hackman. There's that MST3K joke of Gene Hackman. He's good in everything. Like now, it's, yeah, it's the same thing with Jeff. That's Bridges. a really good comparison. I if can he's totally... if he's in a movie, it's like well, you know, you're gonna get to watch Jeff Bridges, and I'm okay with it. It's kind of like uh, I find that's the same with Robert Duvall. Yeah, because he was in like The Sixth Day yeah. with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Funny and... enough, I'm trying to think of if I'm wondering if that's a, a an old Hollywood trait. Like I'm trying to think, like uh, Bruce Dern. If Bruce Dern's in a movie, fantastic. Yeah. Right? Like, but we're listing off people that are now, you know, 70s and pushing well, 80s. We'll and see, right? We'll see who's who's replacing them in that sort of like, like that. You're happy to show. I guess some of them. Kind of George Clooney. George Clooney. I guess. You know, Brad this... Pitt. I mean, I watched The Big Short the other day, and yeah. I was surprised. I didn't realize Brad Pitt was in it, and he's actually one of the cooler parts. Maybe of it. Steve Carell is becoming. Uh, speaking of The Big Short, maybe Steve Carell's sort of going down that lane. Like these, there's these people that we won't know. Yeah, that they are mature mainstays that we love to see until they become oh, I got mature Do you mainstays know who? that we. Paul Rudd. Uh, Paul Rudd, I don't. No? Paul Rudd is not someone that fish hooked me with his uh, charm in the beginning. I don't mind him, and I, well, I bear him no ill will, and I don't dislike him, and I think he's great. But I'm not a hundred percent on the train. I'm not like okay. Paul Rudd's the greatest. I think I well, just just miss just miss. Technically, he's kind of he's done a lot, but he's still by most standards a young man. Well, he's immortal. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah, my, him and Keanu Reeves are they're obviously immortal. <laughs> okay. Uh, I feel like I've I have paced myself badly. I hope I'm not throwing off. Uh, well, we'll see what we. What this is this has been a long one, but we go. We get we're we're coming up to the end here. Uh, we cut back to Flynn typing on his home computer, and home computers in 1982 weren't super plentiful. There was no. uh, estimated 621,000 computers were in homes at $530 each, which is like 1,300 bucks in today's money. Uh, there are mostly basic interpreters with a line editor and their permanent read-only memory, which could be saved to tape or disc. That's right. You could save programs to cassette tape. I had a TRSA Radio Shack computer with a tape drive and a huge book of basic programs. And in 1982, the best-selling personal computer was Ooh. the Commodore 64. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that really, they, they changed everything. Good with computer its, system and those monitors. The monitors. When I moved to Vancouver 20-some-odd years ago, that was my TV for the longest time. Oh, really? I had a VCR. Uh, the cable could run out of the wall into my VCR to handle the conversion. And the VCR had the uh, the right, left, and and uh, AV yeah. to the front of this Commodore. And the thing was, is because it was for home computing, it had slightly more rigorous uh, resolution to it. Right. Like it was meant to visually, because, you know, some people would be programming stuff and it would have to display on the screen. Fuzziness was not part of the equation. Whereas with TVs, cathode ray TVs in general, sometimes it could get a little. Super fuzzy, yeah. Uh, so, man, I used that thing into the DVD era. That was some of the best ways to watch DVDs when oh, cool. they first hit the home markets was to run your DVD player into a Commodore 64 monitor and get a real nice picture out of it. Yeah, there was uh, there was computers at the time from uh, Mattel, Cal- yep. Coleco, Texas Instruments, and even uh, Timex. Yeah, everybody took a shot out of it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and then uh, the BBC Micro, Sinclair, yep. ZX Spectrum. The Atari XL. We'll see. We'll see what Flynn's using. In, it's uh, funny how in minute seven. But. The different countries all had their different markets. Like uh, England was a yeah the the Sinclair. Yeah. It, it, people talk about there's. It's very similar because you're talking to the people of the same time era, and they're all talking about the thing like, I got the book from the library. Like we could we <laughs> we're of an age where you could go to the library, take a book out about video games and video game programming and there would be like a simple space invader game yeah that was three pages sure of basic that you could go in and just manually type into and god help you if you got bored halfway through and you missed something it but taught you focus it and patience focus it and, yeah. sure did Ugh. and then uh okay and then we go now we're going to go over the screenplay and the novel and see if there's any differences okay and the novel there's uh no difference except no. that um well, the thing about the novel is that the script is pretty much word for word, but the details are all in the inner monologues of the of the characters. Right. Oh, yeah. There's one when Ram says that he's been there for 200 microcycles, he gestures over his shoulder and you see marks on the wall where he's been keeping track of the nice. of the time. And um, and that's that, folks, is why physical disk drives degrade over time. That's right. It's the programs on the inside keeping track. Scratching away at things. Uh Oh, yeah, and there's a bit where, like, yeah, Krom talks about how at least Tron is still out there fighting the good fight, and Ram stiffens. And uh, Krom's like, 
what's going on? What did I say something wrong? And then in the background, we see a figure in the next cell slowly stand. And it's an old beleaguered warrior. And it's Tron. Oh. And Krom is crushed because if Tron is in a cell, all is lost. But that's uh, not quite how it plays out in the movie. I collect novelizations and I have Tron and it never occurred to me to go uh, dig it up. So more power to you. More power. It's almost like you're a super fan of this movie. More power. Well, it's one. <laughs> it was one that I saw on. Well, that brings. Well, that that, that takes us to the end of the minute. So that's yeah. that's the end of minute. And uh, he types in some. Uh, Flynn types some. <laughs> Again, one of these wonderful things of clickety click click click. You can't actually. I give them more credit. It looks like they're putting in computer commands. It does. There's the vague sense of like it's not pure English. But in a couple of places, you knew they wanted to sell a concept. So it, like Alan later on, literally types in, I have level seven clearance. You don't talk to the computer like that. No. But they just needed people to read that. You don't say to the, You don't say, oh, come on. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he plugs in. What was it? Um, yeah, he's starting to make his uh, chat with Clue. And like I said, for an 82 world where people aren't used to computers, you know, green text on a. Yeah. screen and it's kind of jarringly not english but enough that you can follow it so it feels like programmery but yeah yeah i miss those amber screens they remember amber and green were vying for supremacy for a while yeah well i university of calgary where i studied had both depending on what if you're in the library or yeah. one of the buildings oh those terminals with the mechanical okay well uh, that takes us to the end of this minute. Tell us, Chris. That's the end of minute number four. Tell us where can people find you if they want to hear more of you. Well, the easiest is either head to Steam and search for Kerberos Productions. How do you how do you spell that? What's the K E R B E R O S? Right. It's like the Greek three headed dog. I see. I see. Yeah. Because if you're going to be a war game company, you need war gaming imagery. So we went with Cerebus and then made a Greek. So. There you go. Uh, and if you want to uh, find more of my stuff, the uh, Facebooks or the Twitters. Twitters is probably easier, uh, or Facebook. Uh, Proton Charging. P-R-O-T-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-I-M. Proton Charging. Ghostbusters reference there. Uh, or just search for uh, Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, you name it. Nice. That's where I spend most of my time is on social media and the podcast just being a Ghostbuster nerd. Excellent. Um, for us, the, uh, intro, if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking. Send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Tron Minute by Listeners, Minute by Minute Listeners page. Um, the intro and outro music were created by Roman Forster over at Pond5. And go over there for some royalty-free uh, music if you want to buy some there. And special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to moviesbyminute.com and see if your favorite movie is there. If it isn't, consider doing one yourself. It's a very inclusive and encouraging community. That's how I got involved as I looked at the list and I was like, oh, no one's done Tron. <laughs> that needs to be taken care of immediately. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I'm trying it up. So... Uh, Chris, do you want to say end of line on three? Sure. One, two, three. End, end of, of line. line.